Welcome back to the Jim Leach Show. Once a month, we check in with State Senator Doris Turner. And today is the day. So, Senator Turner, welcome to the program. Great to have you here. Well, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks for the opportunity. Hope you are enjoying your holiday season. We'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later, but I want to dive into a couple of uh, of issues of substance, one of which going on uh, even today as we speak, uh, court hearings related to the legislative remap process and complaints from uh, from various groups, uh, both um, the NAACP and other uh, similar groups representing uh, black voter interests and uh, Latino groups. Groups, MALDEF and others uh, saying that the maps approved by the General Assembly and signed by Governor J.B. Pritzker don't adequately protect minority voting rights, minority representation, particularly in the Chicago and the Metro East areas. Uh, give me your thoughts on that. Uh, are their claims valid here? And do these maps need to be tweaked, maybe even by the courts, to make sure that they are providing full and fair minority representation? You know, I will tell you that this is not the first time that I've been involved with redistricting. It is a very arduous process that, of course, happens every 10 years. But this is the first time that I've been involved in the process as a um, as a legislator. But, you know, there were numerous people at the table when these maps went, um, you know, were discussed and, and, and fashioned. And I I do believe that what what we voted on and what we the governor signed was a fair process and a fair representation of the uh distribution of of uh you know citizens in, in this state and you know you're never going to have a, a situation where everyone's going to be happy with what happens this is a um you know it becomes a very political process and people are not going to be happy with the way things turned out. But I do think that it was a fair process that was ab- absolutely more open and transparent than it has ever been. It has to be noted again that we're talking about some very specific areas in Chicago, uh, in the metro east area, very heavily populated there. But the way the districts were drawn, uh, there are fears that it will dilute the uh, ability of minority candidates uh, to be able to succeed and to have that that same representation there. Uh, how how big a concern is that? I, I mean, uh, attorneys for the the legislature arguing in favor of the maps as passed, say there are, are lots of places around the state where candidates of color uh, are, are elected, even though they're not in specifically my, you know, majority minority districts there, uh, that uh, you know voters uh, are a, a lot different than they were a generation or two ago in terms of uh, voting for candidates uh, on a lot of factors and not just based upon uh, minority identification. Uh, so is that a, a valid concern or, or what what for example are you hearing from the NAACP what conversations have you had with them uh, about concerns that uh, some of that voting power is being diluted but you know I, I think that that what you just said is absolutely true and look at me as an example of that I was elected three times to a ward in the city of Springfield that was not the majority minority ward and has uh, and does not have a high population of minority voters. But I was elected three times. You know, the same with my county board district. My county board district 
was not a district that was, um, you know, majority minority. It had parts of the county as well as parts of the city. So, you know, I think that when when you have opportunities for um, voters to talk to talk to their candidates, and voters will make that choice. And you know, when you're looking at putting maps together, you're looking at communities of interest. And sometimes those communities of interest involve a racial connotation. Sometimes they involve other connotations. And I will tell you that, um, you know, again, it was a very open, transparent process. And when you talk about, you know, the, the for instance, the district in, um, you know, southwestern Illinois, uh, you know, uh, Representative Greenwood, who is the sitting representative in that area, was, was involved in that process. Um, you know, Senator uh, uh, Chris Belt, who's down in that area, was involved in that process. Same as with those um, electives as well as community groups in, in other parts of the state as well. So, again, I think that oftentimes we have processes that are not intended to be political processes that become very political. State Senator Doris Turner is here with us on WMAY. Uh, other issues, Senator, we are starting to see uh, what is looking like another, yet another new COVID surge. Uh, earlier in the program, we talked with a Republican representative, Adam Niemerg, about legislation he's putting forward that would prohibit vaccine mandates. It would prevent the state from imposing them. It would prevent private businesses from making vaccination a condition of employment. Uh, what do you think of that legislation in is it, in fact, appropriate for the state or even private businesses to uh, put vaccine mandates in place, at least in some settings? You know, that's the um, second piece of legislation that I think that we have seen introduced over the last couple of days that speaks to vaccines and vaccine mandates. I, again, unfortunately, this is a public health issue that has become very political. And I think that we do not do our communities any uh, I think that we do our communities a disservice when we politicize what is definitely a public health pandemic. Um, you know, I am really proud of the way that Illinois has responded to this uh, pandemic, and it has really kept Illinoisans very safe. If you look at the states around us uh, and, and some of the things that have been happening in other states that have not put in some of the um, precautions and some of the mandates that we put in, you see the surges and you see how it's impacting, um, you know, children not being in school and those kinds of things. So I, I am, it, it's, it's very disturbing to me because I think that we are putting not only ourselves, but our families and our children at risk when we don't look at this uh, pandemic from a public health perspective and not from a political one. Um, you know, it, it's interesting when you see people that make this big deal about not being vaccinated and, and mandates and those kinds of things. And nine times out of 10, they are vaccinated because they understand the importance of being vaccinated. And, you know, government puts mandates on us on a lot of different things. I remember when I was in school, I had to have vaccinations in order to go to school. Kids now have to have vaccinations in order to go in school, go to school. You have to have a license to drive a car. You know, um, a lot of things that government mandates us to do. And this is a public health issue. And I think it's very disturbing 
that people are trying to um, politicize or not trying to are, are turning it into a political, uh, you know, situation in order to curry favor with uh, with voters. Let's move to a couple other issues if we can real quickly. Your uh, former Springfield City Council colleagues tonight will have on first reading an ordinance to expand the city's uh, Economic uh, and Community Development Commission. Uh, That is to allow for greater oversight of uh, TIF fund expenditures. This was part of the deal to extend extend, the Enos Park TIF district, Uh, but it's also going to be applied now to a possible expansion of the Madison Park Place TIF. And you've talked about wanting to have uh, uh, some of this additional TIF oversight basically codified into uh, state law to be applicable all over the state. Are you still proceeding with that? I am, and I, I have been in conversation about putting together some, uh, some legislation that we can file. I think that um, I know that there was a lot of, of, of uh, you know, uh, condescending and, and hand-wringing over the, the Enos Park TIF extension, but I think that the entire state will be able to benefit from the hard work that was that was done there. I think that it will be great to um, to have, you know, more eyes on what's happening and also the input from you know from those taxing bodies. So I think that that's absolutely great. I think that the other thing that probably needs to happen is that there needs to be some um, not necessarily I don't want to use the word training, but maybe um, you know the that EDC should probably have some instruction um, in greater depth about what the TIP actually is and the mandates and parameters that are set on uh, on that spending. I think that that would go a long way as well, so that when they are sending things to the city council, it's things that are within those parameters around which the TIF was intended. Uh, Along those same lines, again, as we noted, there's also uh, a proposal to expand the Madison Park Place TIF so that it would take in the uh, the old Pillsbury Mills site. Uh, Theoretically, that could generate some money to help redevelop it, but you're not going to generate a whole lot of uh, additional tax increment there until something is done about that uh, Pillsbury Mills eyesore and the potential environmental hazard with it. So what are the odds of some state funding to help with that project and to finally uh, finally try to make something productive and useful out of that hulking ghost of a factory? I know, you know, that is a something that we have been trying to work on ever since that factory closed and, and people just moved away and, and left it there. I think until that property can get in into the hands of either a, a not-for-profit or or uh, a municipality or some other entity. It's going to be very, very difficult to get state or federal funding for that project. I know that there is a group of which I have been participating that has been working on that, and there is a not-for-profit entity that's ready to take it, you know, to take control of it so that we can move forward with, you know, reaching out about grants and state funding and federal funding and those kinds of things. So I'm hoping that there will be some movement of some kind um, sooner rather than later because it, it's not only an eyesore, but it really is an environmental um, hazard for, for that community. Um, you know, I uh, am a North, North Ender, spend a lot of time there, and it, it really pains me to see what – that part of our city has has become through no fault of the people who live there. So 
So whatever we can do, I know that, um, you know, there have been other community groups, and I know SIU um, School of Medicine has been very involved with trying to do some cleanup in the area and try to do some programming and doing some door-to-door health health information. But until that property can be put in the hands of, you know, uh, a not-for-profit or, or some other entity, I think that is going to be an extremely heavy lift. One of the things, though, that may be able to happen with the extension of that TIF is that it will provide some funding opportunities for the homeowners that are there. Because as you know, when uh, when I came on the council and we uh, looked at the Far East TIF, I did make some changes to that so that there was some opportunities for the homeowners that live within that Far East TIF to have access to those to those funds for some you know, exterior renovations and, and, you know, those kinds of things. So that is, that will be an opportunity uh, for the homeowners who live in that area if the council decides to put those parameters on that new TIF as well. A couple other questions for you real quickly. As we've been reporting, uh, the process is underway for Sangamon County Republicans to choose a replacement for Representative Mike Murphy, who, of course, resigned his seat in the House last week to become the head of the Greater Springfield Chamber of Commerce. And there's been some talk that they might be looking for somebody who could use that uh, year as an appointed state representative as a springboard to perhaps challenge you next year for your uh, for your Senate seat. So uh, what do you uh, what do you make of that possibility no i i've been hearing that as well and you know jim the way i look at it is that i have always i have always said that i will run um for a full term um in in next november that's without a doubt and you know it, i'm really not concerned about who who comes forward and they appoint and and who decides to run because I've been an elected official for about 20 years, and I've never run against anyone. I've always run for the office, and I think that I really have a full body of work that speaks to my commitment to this community and uh, some great deal of successes that I've had um, legislatively at the county, at the city, and at the state level. So I think that I have a great message to take to voters, and um, you know, the voters in this district know me. They've been knowing me for a long time, and they know what I have done, not only for them, but with them. And, um, you know, I, I feel confident that they will continue to want me to represent them. I've got to ask you one last question because I saw on your Twitter feed uh, something you have done that I uh, am hoping to do at some point but haven't made it yet. What was it like stopping off at the Wallies in Pontiac? Oh, my God. I had, you know what, when I came into the General Assembly, I kept hearing people talking about Wally's, Wally's, Wally's. So I'm brand new. I don't want to say, what are you talking about? And so then I was driving by and I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go to Wally's. I have to go to Wally's. So it was very exciting. I had a great time and it was unlike anything I've ever been to. For for people who don't know, I've got to mention, you know, it's it's a travel stop. It's a massive convenience store, but it's like it's got like everything. They have these, you know, uh, down in the south, they call them Bucky's down there. They're, you know, all these different Mm -hmm. chains that are these just massive travel stops. But every everybody that I hear coming down from the north down to Springfield for legislative session, they're all like, oh, Wally's is the best. So I I I know that's what I was. It's like Wally's, 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 but I'm telling you, you gotta go, you gotta go. And I was, um, I hate to say it on air, but I was like a little kid when I left out of there. When I left out of there, I had a bag 
with about almost two hundred dollars worth of stuff in it. <laughs> and with that, so, we so are we going. Were on, we were on our way to we were on our way to um, Chicago for a, a Bulls game, and, and I said, "Oh wow, I want to go to Wally's." And so Cecil's like, "I am so tired of hearing you talk about Wally's." So he turned around and took me there. And when we left out, he's like, okay, I hope you're happy. I spent almost $200 at Wally. That, that is a lot of snacks for a trip to Chicago, I will say. <laughs> Senator Doris Turner, uh, listen, thank you so much. We don't get the chance to talk again. Very Merry Christmas to you and yours, and we will uh, certainly speak in the new year. Same to you. Have a happy new year, too.